Hello and welcome to Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. I'm Allison. And I'm Alexis. And we are your sad girls. Very high tech today. Yeah. Um, we bought a mixer and an Ooh. extra microphone and we're back at my house because um, Alexis had the worst migraine of her entire life yesterday. It was terrible. But it gave us an excuse for this investment in this amazing new equipment. Yeah. I mean, it'll be nice. Today we're planning on, I don't know if this would be... Spoilers. I mean, spoiling that we're, <laughs> we're recording two episodes today, which will be nice because we won't have a time constraint like if we were at the studio. True. So. Yes. Just blast them out. Yes. I wanted to talk about, to start, my shitty ex from my college days who friended me on LinkedIn. Oh, my God. I saw you post that. Oh, my God. The audacity of these mediocre men. I know. Someone messaged me and was like, I would be so humiliated to do something like that. And I just know he didn't think twice about it. No. He probably doesn't even think that there was anything wrong with however y'all ended. No, he d- he's he does because he's tried to apologize. So I worked at a Pete's Coffee, which is a coffee chain in the Bay. It's like Starbucks, but not. It's not. They're here. Oh, they are here. Yeah, they're oh. not. They're not as prevalent, I think, but they're around. Yeah, I think they started in the Bay. That sounds right. But I worked at a Pete's Coffee, and I was barista while I was in college, and he was my manager. And I don't even. How remember. How old were you? How old was he? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to call no, you. No, that's a fair question. <laughs> I was 19, I think, 19 or 20. I wasn't 21 yet. And he was at least seven, eight years older than me. It wasn't not, not terrible. No, but it was, I mean, that's still like power dynamic. Yeah. And also a bad 10 years because like 30 to 40 isn't really a big difference, in my opinion, in terms of like position in life. No. But like 20 and 30. And especially under 21. Yes. Because you have yet to experience so many of the horrors of the world yeah (laughs) i mean i was rich in horrific experiences but like 21 just opens up a whole new can of terrible and good yeah and terrible there's more things you can do which opens you up to more experiences which (laughs) Which can be good or bad which means it opens you up to more bad experiences that i had yet to uh explore so i don't remember how but yeah i had a crush on him we started hooking up and then we weren't telling people at work you know we were official (laughs) It was, actually. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> That's the hottest. No one can know. No one can know because, yeah, he's my manager, and I knew that wasn't really allowed. But then how did I find out? I think I always suspected that he was also sleeping with this other girl, Bryn. I'm just going to call her out. It was Bryn. How dare you, Bryn? Bryn. Well, I wouldn't have anything against her except I approached her. I think I messaged her on Facebook or something, and I was like, hey, I heard you were also hooking up with this guy, and just so you know, so am I. And she was like, he told me you're crazy, and you're a liar, and you're obsessed with him, and and you're just crazy, and we're so happy together. And I was like, oh, no. I could have been like... Do you want me to tell you the color of his sheets? <laughs> like, right. Or all of these intimate details that I wouldn't know. Yeah, do you want to know about dating? that that weird mole on his right. butt or something? Like, mm, okay. I just dropped it though. I just didn't reply because it was I don't wanna have anything to do with this. You are so much more mature than me. I would have <laughs> lost like at that age, I would have been like, listen here, you stupid bitch. <laughs> I think I just felt sorry for her because I knew that he was lying to her and I didn't want to fight for him at that point. And I know it wouldn't have it doesn't have to be about that. It could just be about your own conscience. But I I just wanted to get away from both of them and pitied her. Okay, well you're stuck with him now. <laughs> He's a blind cheating dick. So Yeah. It's like, well maybe you guys are meant to be. You I guys did. They're good for each other. I traveled over the summer and then I came back and I did. I remember going back to that coffee shop and telling 
his higher up. Oh, wait. I don't think he was the manager. I think he was the assistant manager. Oh, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> and I told the manager that we'd been hooking up as revenge, but also I was like, I think I might want my job back here. And just so you know, this is why I think you should give it back to me immediately. And not, not explicitly blackmail, but I did tell him like, hey, like part of the reason I left was because there was this dynamic and these two people were sleeping together, but he was also having sex with me. And I know that was supposed to happen. Anyway, I might want to work here again. The manager was like, yep, you can have whatever you want. Yep, you want to start tomorrow? Great, good. Nope, let's drop it. Don't want to talk about this ever again. You're like, awesome. <laughs> awesome. I won't sue you and you'll give me a job. Yeah. I love it. And I didn't end up going back to work there because I just didn't want to. But I did get to at least have that little jab. And I don't think he was fired. I didn't make it a big thing. Didn't take it to corporate or anything. Just made sure people knew that I could. Yeah. If I wanted to. Again, you're just switching the power dynamic back to you. Now you have the power. I did have the power. Um, But I blocked him on socials and on my phone. And he found my OkCupid account. Mm. (laughs) Mm Because this is 10 years ago. And I still have his screenshot of him being like, hey, lady, I feel so bad about how things ended. I would just love to talk to you and apologize. Be like, sorry, I'm just too busy being crazy over here and obsessed with you. I don't have time. (laughs) Him and Bryn had broken up, unsurprisingly. It didn't Mm. last long. Wow. And then I didn't reply. And then he emailed me a little bit later. What? (laughs) Bro, let it go. Take the L. And then I didn't reply. And then he emailed me again like, five years ago oh still have that God. screenshot too like i i just need closure we had really good sex we had a really good connection in a lot of ways and i think he realized he did he picked the wrong one kind of a thing because like him and Britain fizzled out right away and i think it was like oh wait i could have had this other girl in my life who was actually i i think him and i had more that we could have done together if he hadn't fucked it up it did feel unfinished it was like oh wow i thought this was something really good but he got greedy So I emailed back and was like, look, I don't really care about you anymore. I don't harbor any resentment. Just let it go. I hope this is the closure that you need. And he replied, yes, it does. Take car. And he meant care. (laughs) (laughs) Zoom, zoom. I will take car. You take bus. And I haven't talked to him since then. It's like five years ago. And then I just got back on LinkedIn. And because I was probably active on the profile, it probably popped up somewhere. Because he has your email. (laughs) <laughs> yep, through email, through my email. And I don't even go by my legal last name anymore that he knew me by. So he doesn't know anything about my life in LA or the name I use now. But I still have that, my legal last name, email address that is on my LinkedIn. And uh, he didn't send a note with his connection because you can do that with LinkedIn. You can send like a, want to connect, here's my note. Didn't send a note. Anyway, he's bald now. Oh, I love that. I love that revenge so much. Yeah. And I just blocked him on LinkedIn too. Bro. It's, it's been over 10 years. It's okay. We, we're we good. But we don't, we don't need to be professional we, connections. We don't need to be any kind of connection at no. all. LinkedIn is not a regular social media. This is for professional stuff. And definitely that would not be the connection that we need to harbor. It was just a window. It was an opening. He didn't forget about me. And he still wanted to go back to that. So yikes. Yeah. In my experience, the ones that you don't want to come back do, because mm-hmm. that happened to I had another lousy ex who's a he was just like a heroin addict and he wasn't the worst person, but we didn't really click in the right ways. Um <laughs> I would choose heroin addict over cheating guy any day. He, uh, yeah, that, he also came back a couple years later and was like, hey, I miss you. What are you up to? I'm sorry for this and that. It's like, sorry you fumbled a bad bitch, but yeah. move on. Yeah, let's let's move on. Yeah, I've had a couple of those. I had this guy I was dating for a while, and 
it was really, really messy. And it finally got to a head where I was just like, I'm done with you. But like, even still now, like once a year, at least he's like, I hope you're doing well. That's so funny. And I run into him anytime I go back home to Houston because he's like a raging alcoholic that's had multiple DWIs. I had to drive him around all the time when we were dating because he couldn't drive a car. Of course not. Because of all the DWIs he had. That would do it. Yep. And so I still see him at the same bars all the time. And uh, thankfully now he doesn't like come up and be like, Alexis, can I talk to you? (laughs) He did that to me when I was dating the guy after him. Like we were at this bar and he like comes up and it's like me, this guy I'm dating and then my best friend and her now husband. So it was just the four of us. It was like literally a double date. And he's like, hey, um, I really need to talk to you. And I'm like, do you? He's like, it's really important. And I'm what like, what do I do? I'm like cornered. I'm like, okay, well, like, can we hurry? And then he like wanted to like reconnect. I'm like, I'm dating someone else. You fucking, you fucked up. Sorry. The the boat is gone. Adios. But yeah, still, I think even within this last year, he's messaged me and been like, hey. (laughs) We're still friends on Instagram. Like it wasn't totally messy, but I'm just like, dude, no, it's, we're done. It's, it's, I'm married now. So it's very done. Very done. Yeah. I, oof. This is what you open yourself up to when you don't block someone this is the whole yeah yeah absolutely i did match with someone on bumble whose profile i liked and so i just wanted to highlight what i thought was funny in his profile please but i don't think he with bumble you have to match with someone and then talk within 24 hours otherwise it disappears otherwise it unmatches it does unmatch yeah and then it's like you have to pay them bumble got i don't pay for bumble obviously but the upgrades are stupid expensive. It's like $40 a month or you can pay $10 a week for things. $40 or, yeah, a month? Premium. The premium accounts. They have different tiers, but okay, yeah. So you can pay $9.33 a week. Oh, one week, $20. Three months, it breaks down to $6.22 a week. This is like when they talk about toilet paper and they're like, one roll is equal to two rolls is equal to X number of sheets. And it's like, I just want to know how much paper is in this paper towel container. Right. But that's how Bumble is doing it. Lifetime is $250 subscription. But who wants to be a lifetime member of a dating app? That means I don't want a lifetime because that means it doesn't no. work. I'm okay. hoping to, you know, not need you the whole my whole life. Premium Plus is $30 a week. A week? Yep. What's, okay, what are the features with this? I get to, uh, like, stalk women and watch them sleep or something. No, I was about to say, I was like, do you just, like, get their, like, address and, <laughs> like, their gynecological They give history. you a ride to the person's house oh <laughs> so you yeah, can like our service. <laughs> but, no, this guy says, 5'9", soaking wet, 6'2", if I liberty spike my hair with super glue. Which, Love that. Because there's so much, like, 6'2", if that matters. And then he also says, my zombie apocalypse plan is to nibble on my wrist nonchalantly to fit in. My real life superpower is expressionless profile photos. Is he a model? Uh, he has a picture of him on a runway, but he says he's a lawyer. I got a vibe of like, he's helping with a friend. He's only 5'10". He's probably not a model. I don't know. Are male models ever shorter than tall? Not that 5'10 is short by I, any means. I have to admit, I, I have not looked into the world of male modeling to give you <laughs> this information. Sometimes I feel like things surprise you. Like there are actors that are definitely on the shorter side. Oh, every actor fine. I've seen in person that's yeah. like really famous, they are so much shorter than you think they are. They are skinnier than you think they are. And their heads are bigger. They just all look like <laughs> little bobbleheads. All the really famous people. Yeah. But he says, a review by a friend, stop asking me to describe your flaws and strong points to strangers. <laughs> I I think he's cute. Yeah, I he's like cool. it. It's funny. I just he has my ex's name, so I hate him. Uh, I get it. I would also. That's super valid. What else? Oh, I was gonna say that apparently Meghan Markle sucks, or at least some people think she sucks. IRL. Yeah. 
I mean, I've watched part of that documentary. Also, I was listening to our episode. I don't actually love the Royals. I was making a joke. Um, <laughs> we love the Royals. <laughs> we love the Royals. I just meant that to, you know, yeah, <laughs> networking. Um, but yeah, I watched part of that documentary that she did that was like her and Harry actually produced it. And it was supposed to be like their side to like make them look better. And it it, it did not. Uh-huh. She still seemed, I don't know. I, I get it. Like, I wouldn't want to be in that situation with all that paparazzi and old traditions and it's like a bunch of like white inbred people that you're like marrying into like it's a fuck shit show like I feel for that aspect but at the same time you're also like not it's bad all around it's 100% bad she had to leave suits to focus on her role as the princess diary yeah so that's no good to just give up your whole life and you have you have to yeah and that's part of it it. and I would never but yeah I've heard a lot of different reviews all right. Is there any other hot gossip before we talk about, I, I don't know, true crime is depressing, but before we get a little darker, a little more serious into true crime. Well, something really depressing. I um, audiobook read, so listened to Britney Spears's autobiography. Okay. Holy shit. Everyone's listening and reading to it. I, so oh, please. Yeah. man. Um, all I'm going to say is just listen to it. It's, it's an easy listen. Michelle Williams narrates it and she's an incredible actress anyways and her voice always has this very subtle like i'm sounding like i'm on the verge of crying timber to it and just listening to all this like horrible stuff with michelle williams gravity and all of these lines i was just like oh my god i was like crying and now every time i listen to a britney spears song i just like bust out crying oh um but i i highly recommend it comma so sad this poor woman okay she just got horribly taken advantage of by her family and i mean as we know with the conservatorship and they did that pretty soon on. Literally was forced to perform. Like, she had no choice. She was legally obligated to do whatever her father told her to do. Her Vegas residency and all these shows and all of these things that she had to do. And they took most of the money. That's awful. Like, tens of millions of dollars. How is that even legal? Like, we have Coogan laws for minors. I mean, I guess it's because of the conservatorship. It's because of conservatorship. Wow. But how easy that it was for her to get a conservatorship mm-hmm. was... That shit. And because she's a woman, would never happen to a man like that. God, no. And she makes that point in there. She's like, you know, I went out drinking. She's like, I never had a drug problem. She's like, the only thing I kind of abused was Adderall for a little bit. And that's because I was so depressed. And it was the only thing I tried that didn't make me depressed. Wow. Horrible. And the most I did was a little bit of Adderall and drinking. Like, I never did cocaine. I never did hard drugs. But this image of me came out. But there's all these male rock stars that like trash hotel rooms. And they're like fucked up on drugs and show up to stage and can barely talk. No one would even think of having a conservatorship for them. And they have kids. It's glamorous. It's sexy. It's the rock star life. Exactly. And it's just all these things that she brings up. It's just like being a fucking woman in the spotlight and being a mom. Like the moment she had kids, it was like, you're such a terrible mother. Like, what do you think about people saying like you're a horrible mom? And she's like, why am I a horrible mom? Like, what the fuck is going on? Mm -hmm. Just the whole thing from start to finish is like, oh my God. I'm just glad she's getting her her story out now it took way too fucking long and as a society we did not give her the platform for too fucking long but at least it's happening let's do another bimbo episode britney spears britney yeah oh my god yes great idea someone else maybe Lindsay. yes or you know what honestly i'm a big paris hilton stan okay they're buds britney paris that makes more sense then yeah great (gasps) see look at this that's what i love about recording we just get episode ideas it's going in the drive Today we're going to talk about true crime and why more women like true crime. And Alexis is going to get us started with some histories. Yeah, there's this sort of notion, especially now and even with the reading and being into true crime, where it's like people think it's this like new phenomenon. Like it's a 
brand new thing that yeah, like cereal just came happened. out and now we're doing true crime. Yeah, exactly. That's what everything is like. Once cereal came out, like mm-hmm. podcasting and true crime became all the rage. True crime has always been all the rage since the dawn of time. This idea that it's like some sort of fad or phenomena is batshit. So I just wanted to go through the history of true crime to just kind of show that this has always been in our culture and not even just in Western culture. I was Hmm. reading things about even in Eastern cultures, we are just morbidly fascinated with dying and death and crime and being terrible to our fellow humans. Yeah. I mean, we're aware that we can die. So it is definitely a fascinating element of our existence. Yeah. Death is just as much a part of life. But the first example I wanted to talk about was Julius Caesar. I mean, that is... (laughs) Throwback. (laughs) Like, way throwback, right? Like, this is BC times. I mean, that was a murder that was, like, what, the O.J. Simpson of its time? That was, like, important shit. He was a big, important guy who got murdered. That's one of the starts of it. Since forever, we've been going to public executions and hangings and beheadings. And to be fair, usually this is sometimes when we think about in history, like, Marie Antoinette, some of these bigger, like, political figures. But we, we also just had, like, criminals that... People would go to the public executions and they'd want their just desserts or they just want to see someone's head get cut off or whatever. But that's been going on forever. I don't even have data on that because it's just, we just know this happened. Old. It's as old as time. We have a morbid fascination with, with death and watching people die and getting their quote unquote just desserts. And if we didn't have Netflix and internet, if we have some future apocalypse time, we'll probably go back to public executions because we're not going to be scratching that itch by seeing it on Live League anymore. No. I mean, the Hunger Games, that's the entire premise. It's like, hey, what if you guys just got kids and like they just killed each other for public entertainment? Yeah. But I'm going to start in the 16th century. Your favorite, Allison. You love the 16th century. (laughs) Except I have to pause and be like, is that the 1500s? Yes, 1500s. Got it. Yes. But I saw early as like 1550s. So British authors published reports on capital crimes. This is when literacy rates were starting to climb. So there were anywhere from like 6 to 24 pages in length. There were also other forms of notating gruesome trials and murders during this time, such as ballads, which they specified were like short verses, not necessarily songs. Okay. (laughs) People weren't belting out songs in the square about like, Mm -hmm. this guy's head got chopped up. Like none of that. Life is not a musical. You know, as much as I wish it was, it it is not. But they were like short verses that they would post around towns as well. So I guess like limericks and haikus and shit of just being like, (laughs) this guy did this and now he's doing that. Um, But those were posted around the town and similar to what we have now. Like, the same kind of stories. It's, like, tales of torture and dismemberment and witchcraft woo, and sex-related murders and women being criminals. People have always been fascinated with, you know, like, the fallen woman, like, a woman acting out of her gender norm. And, Lilith. Yes. And, you know, murderous wives. They would also have these woodcut scenes that were part of, like, more like the upper class echelon where they have woodcuts mm. of these torture scenes or, like, murder scenes where it was, like, a reenactment but with a wood cut out. Like, carved out of wood? Yes. Whoa. Like, yeah, like a diorama, basically, but with wood where they would reenact a famous scene of murder. I love the internet, but sometimes this pre-internet occupation is just... How cool would that be? Yeah. <laughs> have a diorama woodcutting of a murder. People don't have these important skills anymore. Like, no. where the fuck are the woodworkers, okay? 
we don't need it anymore. But like, can you we imagine? have Instagram. <laughs> imagine how cool it'd be like a cool wood cutout. You shine light on it and it like had a really cool shadow. Yeah. Wouldn't that be sick as Oh, I bet fuck? they look amazing. And if they still exist, they're worth so much money. Oh God, yeah. Wood is so much more of a harder commodity. That's to tragic. Get. Yeah, it's, mm. it, it's better. During COVID, it got really bad with the wood, but that's a story for a different day. We're not okay. going to talk. This isn't no. the wood podcast. <laughs> as much as we would like it to be. <laughs> I would love to talk about wood all day. Gross. <laughs> not that kind. Whoa. Um, But the lower class, people would be less likely to have access to this. So true crime was more of an enjoyment for the upper class, but literacy was becoming more prevalent in the middle class that kind of existed at that time. So if you could read, you could basically get access to any sort of literature pamphlets or these ballads that they would write around. But these wood cutouts were definitely like rich people enjoyment laughing in their estates kind of. Yeah, they had time. Yes, they had time and leisurely time. They didn't have to work in the fields. There was also court case fiction writing in the 16th century in China, such as cases of the Magistrate Bao, which were inspired by real events or some fictional. And then in the 17th century, the late Ming Dynasty had collections of stories by Zhang Zingzu, the book of swindles about allegedly true cases of fraud. Mm. So in the 16th, 17th century over in China, they were also like true crime fucking rules. Nice. So worldwide phenomenon dating back forever, but definitely since the 16th century that I could find here. Then we get to the 19th century. Now we're in mostly Britain here. But, you know, there's a lot of overlap between Britain and the U.S. The U.S. was kind of a shit show for most. I mean, it still is. Let's be real. Oh, yeah. But we were definitely emulating a lot of England throughout most of our history. Same people. Yeah. Came from there. Yeah. Perpetuated colonized, the culture. Colonized and decimated this land. Yep. We continue the trend of pamphlets and tales of true crime with the use of the penny press to make more distributable mass amounts of pamphlets known as... I don't know. The Penny Dreadful. Oh, I've seen that TV show. Exactly. Oh. I was like, every, you did that? every time you do that, you're like, what do you think? I was like, I don't fucking know. No, I I just, <laughs> look, it's not a test. I failed. It's like, anytime someone puts me on the spot, I'm like, oh, yeah. And they're like, what's your favorite color? I'm like, oh, 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 oh. I've never seen color in my life. Literally. <laughs> I fell off Penny Dreadful, but I think I liked the first couple of seasons. Same. It was very moody. Yeah, I liked the first couple seasons, um, and then it kind of got off the rails for me. And even when I was watching it, I was like, this is just, like, campy fun. Like, I don't yeah. think of this as, like, a serious, like, mm-hmm. you know, substantial. But I'm like, it's fun. It's goth. It's spooky. Morbid. Uh, yeah. And then I was just like, okay, this is getting too weird and weird sex orgies. And I don't care. <laughs> this was not, It's not what I'm here for, okay? Look. Yep. If I want that, I'll just watch porn. Yeah. Calm down. Give me the spooks. Give me the spookies. So obviously those cost a penny. That's why they were called Penny Dreadfuls. And they were made of wood pulp. We're back to wood. Ah. <laughs> they are made of wood pulp paper. They were cheaper to produce so that the working class could actually obtain these as well. Ah. So they were cheap. They were a penny. They were made from a cheap product. And a lot of times it would be true crime stories, but they would also be more like like urban legend type stories too that were just like spooky. Like the first case that we saw of like Sweeney Todd or um, Spring Heeled Jack, which is another spooky story of that's a story for another bit. It's like a, a spooky guy that had, apparently had springs in his heels so he could like jump really high like over walls and would assault women. And It's so whimsical <laughs> and awful at the same time. It was very like steampunky. Like I listened to a whole podcast yes. about it, but apparently he had red glowing eyes and he like opened up his jacket and there was mechanical stuff in his chest. And Wow. If he doesn't have a movie yet. I know, right? There's, there's, there's a few podcasts that I've listened to about Spring Heel Jack. Um, huh. Anyways, but those kind of stories as well that were like more like urban legends would be in these, but also they would talk about true crimes, famous grizzly murders, and the same kind of stuff that we're doing now. Was this the first pulp fiction? Because we still have pulp 
fiction, right? Like our mass ah, paper book. That would make sense because they're made from wood pulp. I think that's why they call it that. That would make sense. Yeah. See, I was just going with Penny Dreadful over here, and you're thinking Pulp Fiction. Big brain. Big yeah. brain. Guys, we're learning together. This Ooh. is so fun. Education. But this was also the time where we started having this become a little bit more reputable. Um, around this time, Charles Dickens wrote A Visit to Newgate in 1836, and William Thackeray wrote Going to See a Man Hanged in 1840. So these were bigger authors that were respected at the time. So it wasn't just these like dingy back alley trade right. papers. I'm trying to think of like like a like a rag like it, you know it was it became more respectable around this time as well. Like sure. the the important authors of the time were giving it a spotlight. Yeah. And you were saying earlier it was an interest of the higher class too because they had the free time for their leisure. So yeah. it's never been something that's dirty and shameful and hidden. We've always had our higher ups talking about it yeah. and exchanging it. Yeah. We've always been titillated by this. Also something weird that I guess I never really think about, but we didn't even really start having organized police departments until the 19th century in both the UK and the US. Police departments didn't exist. I pictured there was a sheriff. It was more like that, but it wasn't like an organized like unit police department, Hmm. like the Boston Police Department. None of that organized the way we know it today. Like basically a lot easier to commit crimes. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) You could just do crime. Be gay and do crime. Ah, <laughs> oh, the good old days. <laughs> but this was around this time. So in the 19th century, we start creating the police departments and people have an intrigue in that as well. So this was the beginning of the detective novels and mysteries like Sherlock Holmes and the acceptance of early stage forensics, which is like fingerprints and ballistics as clues to help solve grisly cases. So this is when we start getting the detective side of true crime oh, mystery novels. And then just going through the fact that it's not new, 1888, guys, Jack the Ripper. I've heard of him. Yeah, maybe, perhaps. So that was big as well. That made a huge case. And then this is also the same time at the end of the 19th century in America, coming back over here, whoop, whoop, famous case in 1892, Lizzie Borden. Yeah. Big fucking deal. Axe? Yes. Family. Yes. Coming back. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her... Father 41 or something like that. That sounds like a ballad you'd see posted in the Times Square. (laughs) See? But a lot of the articles I was reading was like, Lizzie Borden case was like the O.J. Simpson of its time, probably even bigger because it was huge, just all over everywhere. Even this article I was reading that was written in 2015 referred to Lizzie Borden as a spinster, though, which made me really depressed. (laughs) Was she like 25 and unmarried? You know what? I I didn't look that much into it, but I think think she actually was maybe in her 30s. Don't quote me on this. I did not write that down. 30s. Wow. I mean, but you know, back then, if you were 23 and not married, they were like, I know. Is it just cobwebs down there or what's going on? Sealed chat. Yep. So 20th century. I'm just going to go through some big cases or some like big prevalent Things that just brought the people's attention to true crime. 1932, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, which is a very big deal because Charles Lindbergh was some big fucking guy. But honestly, listen to a lot of podcasts about him too. He was a eugenicist and the baby that got kidnapped had like some sort of deformity or something like that. And they think he probably just did a stage kidnapping to kill his son. This was in the early 1900s? 1932. He must be, there's a Charles Lindbergh that is the reason we have the Lindy Hop. Yes. <laughs> the swing dance. It's, I think it's that same it one. Must be the, it can't be that many Charles Lindberghs no, in the No, I think he was like an actor turned politician. Tra- he was a very famous yeah. fucking, he was like a very famous guy. I think he flew over. Yes, he did. And then he hopped and then we got a name for a swing dance that lives on to this day. Yep, that guy. That, yeah, that, that Charles Lindbergh yeah. with the planes. I was like, I don't remember yeah, what he, he did. Planes. I know he was super fucking famous though. He did a lot 
lot of shit. Hopped around. Yeah, he did hop. He okay. was a very famous guy, but his baby got kidnapped out of their house. And that obviously was a big fucking deal, too, because he was one of the most famous people on the planet at this time. His baby got kidnapped. And people were obsessed with that. And then the baby was found killed Aww. in a field. I don't remember the time, but it, the baby, yeah. That's so sad. Someone killed the baby. Don't get famous. But I've heard a lot of podcasts, too. It sounds like it might have been an inside job. Which Don't be sad. Charles Lindbergh. Don't be a eugenicist, as we find in a lot of these episodes. Don't eugenics are bad. We don't don't condone that. No. Another famous one, Black Dahlia Murder, 1947, right here in Los Angeles. That was a big famous one as well. And then we get back to novels and literature in 1966. In Cold Blood by Truman Capote came out, which was about a 1959 murder that took place in Kansas, and he interviewed the um. Parts of the family, I think the people that were convicted of murdering the family, which I think was the two sons. Again, I didn't look too much into like every single one of, of these course. stories because then I would be researching for like three weeks straight. We're in the 60s again. The Manson murders. Again, huge fucking deal. I mean, again, this has to do with because famous people were involved. Sharon Tate obviously got murdered. So that was partially why it was popular. But the fascination with the Manson murders has just really never gone away. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, what, five years ago? And that was all about that. Then in the 80s, we got Anne Rule with The Stranger Beside Me, which is all about her knowing Ted Bundy. And that's a huge book in the true crime world because she worked with Ted Bundy and had no idea. So this Anne Rule book, and she's written many books since then, has been incredibly popular. 90s, we got O.J. Simpson. We got John Bonet Ramsey. These are two enormous cases. Again, O.J. Simpson we got because he's O.J. Simpson. Famous. He got acquitted. So did Lizzie Borden, by the way. Parallels. Stuff You Should Know has a podcast about her. Yes. Yeah, I'm not even into true crime, but I have heard of all, all these cases. All of these. Yeah, they're yeah. iconic. Right. They're you in, can't escape it. Yeah, they're in our culture. But more recently, the turn has become a lot more obvious since things like Serial have been released. So TV channels that existed as maybe having other focuses completely shifted their focus to just true crime. So the Oxygen channel, which was like, a channel for ladies and they would have all sorts of different stuff like the bad girls club was on there which i never watched but like i've heard of it and they would just have things that they thought were just like shows for ladies porn, and porn c- for women and not Feminist necessarily porn, porn but no. like i'm sure they had like life because i think it was a lifetime okay. channel own channel so i'm sure you'd get some of those like i like the idea of a channel for ladies it, it's still a channel for ladies <laughs> but now girls. see that would yes and I'm sure that plays on, I'm sure that plays somewhere. It's gotta. On repeat. It better. Yeah. It's classic. It is. But in 2017, Oxygen changed formats to exclusively right. true crime because they noticed that their true crime shows on their lady-focused network were the highest rated and got the most views. So they were like, fuck it, we ball. We're just doing true crime. And then there's Investigation Discovery Channel, which same thing. That, that channel is just entirely true crime. And I think that's one that has all the crazy spinoffs that are like super specific, like buried in the backyard, married and murdered. I think I Survived is on there or it's on Oxygen. Mm. A lot of these true crime shows that get super specific. And we don't realize how many crimes there are, but there's super specific shows. That you're like, there's no way there's that many stories of this particular title. And then there are just hundreds of them. So much crime. Do you think that true crime became more popular or just that the internet made it so much more accessible that now... It sounds like these networks have just pivoted for ratings and then it becomes circular where, oh, we'll put it out there because more people are watching it and now more people will watch it because it's out there. I mean, everything is so available now with the internet. Yeah, and I think that's it too. I think the fact that we just have so much media is making it more obvious because we've always had these true crime shows around too. We've always had Dateline in 2020 and all of these types of shows. But I think having 
the media and honestly, I mean, this is my personal opinion. Yeah. I think that they're actually giving a shit what women watch has made a difference. Yeah. And I think it's become more acceptable for us to admit it. And I don't know why, but there's been a bigger gender divide where it is showing that women like it more, which when I was growing up, I didn't think about it. But my mom and I would always watch Law & Order SVU and Dateline. And we would watch all this stuff, Forensic Files. My mom falls asleep to Forensic Files to this day. She gets her laptop, pulls up Forensic Files on Hulu and That's just like cute. plays it. And she's like, it just helps me fall asleep. I have all the comfort shows. I totally get it, mom. Yeah. But I think that's a really common thread, too, is that a lot of people have this bonding with their mom or their grandma where it's like, yeah, we would just watch Forensic Files or 2020 and like grandma loved true crime hmm. novels. And that was just like a bonding moment for a lot of women with their female relatives. Um, but we'll get to the modern times and then I'm, I'm wrapping up here. Yeah, no rush. So Netflix and podcasts. Yeah. This is what I think really tipped it over and put the spotlight on because when they were looking at what's the most popular podcast and podcasts started becoming popular at this time serial really is what did it time and time again every article i'm looking at was like serial 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 and i'm not gonna lie i fucking loved serial i listened to it when it came out i was glued i was hooked and i've always liked true crime but i think that's what made me be like oh i can listen to this all the time Like, on your oh, own time too like, in yeah. your car in your hand exactly and podcasts i think are becoming more popular or started becoming popular this time because i don't have to read a book i don't have to use my eyes i could just listen but serial really made it making a murderer was super popular when that came out and that was like what 2015 i think i first moved to la when that was on it lends itself well to the medium yes and it's something i could picture being on a radio back in the day when you would sit around your radio at the end of the night and follow along in a story yeah, I'm trying to convince my sister-in-law to get into podcasts because she works from home and she's like, sometimes I'll just be doing menial things like punching in numbers because she's an accountant. So there's a lot of number stuff. I don't know what accountants do. <laughs> I know numbers are involved in like math. Data um, entry. Yeah, like I don't know. She's, Equations. She does important math stuff. Numbers are all around us. Yeah. But she's like, yeah, sometimes just have something on. I'll just put on like. And she says, she's like, I just put on forensic files where I just don't watch it. And I just listen to it while I'm doing my work. Why don't you just listen to a fucking podcast? Did you try telling her you can pretend that the hosts are your friends and, I, and have a parasocial relationship? I, I, I think I did try, but I think well. she's, I think I just need to do it for her. And I'm going to open this up for you <laughs> and you're going to listen to it. Yeah. I mean, Chuck and Josh from Stuff You Should Know, those are my dads. They don't know it. And I haven't tried to tell them yet, but they're my gay fathers. Yes. They're I, also straight and married, but you know. I like to think of them as like a, like a fun uncle. Okay, an uncle. Yeah, I think I need a father figure more, so I'm going to put him as a But uncle works very well. Because they're just kooky. They are my, yeah, they're everyone's kooky uncle. Yeah. And it, I love them. Same. That's also definitely a comfort show for me. I'm like, just so it's much. Just, it's just nice and I'm learning. Yeah, it's when great. I'm having anxiety, I definitely put them on. And they've said that too in their shows. People say that they like falling asleep to listening to us talk, which is kind of sad and offensive, but we get it. <laughs> I was like, you're right. That is kind of funny to be like, we love just falling asleep while you're talking. <laughs> I think it's a compliment that like we were talking about. It's just, it's safe, yeah. right? It's like, I feel safe. I feel warm. That This is a familiar voice. That... You have to connect with the host for sure. Because if, if you don't, then what? What's the fucking point? I hope everyone listening connects with us. If you don't, how can I make you connect with me? Please love me. <laughs> what can I do? Well, I was going to jump in with an article that is called Captured by True Crime, Why Are Women Drawn to Tales of Rape, Murder, and Serial Killers? I saw that one. It was oft-cited. I think it's the only one of its kind, but it was well done as far as I could tell. This was in the Journal of Social, Psychological, and Personality Science. And it was led by a crime psychology expert, Amanda Vickery. 
And some guy, R. Chris Fraley. I, didn't, I don't know eh. his deal. I didn't look him up. Anyway, so Vickery made the point. She was leading the study. That it's sort of a mental contradiction that men are considered the more aggressive sex, but women are more into true crime. Because we've definitely seen that men are into other violent genres like the war. Men love the war. They really do be loving <laughs> war. They're like, Call of Duty, please. My dad was such a World War II buff, too. He thinks he's a Churchill out of time, you know, a man of the hour just waiting for his hour. But I just don't understand the desire. I think that's the thing of we bleed every month. We have pain in our lives built in. We don't need to find it in this particular way of the war. Like true crime is a little more relatable, as I'll get into in a minute. Right. I mean, I'm glad video games exist for that reason. True. So you guys can get whatever weird outlet you guys have for wanting to go to a war. Yeah. Um, in their first test of the study, the research totaled book reviews on Amazon by gender to establish if more women are reading true crime books. And 70% of the reviews of the true crime books were female. In the war genre, 82% of the reviewers were male. <laughs> this absolutely tracks. Yeah. Podcasting has also blown up the genre of true crime. Wine and Crime, which is a popular true crime podcast. I listened to them. I haven't before, but I like the name. If I, 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 RC, if I remember correctly, they were from the Midwest. Okay. So they had like a really thick accent, but mm. it was very cute. I like an accent and I like wine and I like crime. So mm -hmm. there's were, a, there's a lot of wine related <laughs> podcasts. There's true. so many wine podcasts. Truly. Uh, continue. They reported that they get half a million downloads every month and 85% of them are female. Psych Magazine says that almost 75% of true crime podcast listeners are women. And the podcast industry is, it really helped blow up this genre and gave women a space where they could find female-led podcasts, follow them, and connect with both the hosts and the content. I saw so many stats all over the place, but roughly what I saw was basically 70 to 80%, right. like 70 to 90% of whatever content they're measuring was females. This one was... It's a 2019 Edison research report stating that 73% of content audience of true crime consumption are women. That sounds about right. Yeah. And in Vickery's study, they tested whether more women are just reviewing books in general. And that wasn't the case because for the new and paperback category, 52% of the reviewers were female, 48% male. So slightly more. But the reviews in the true crime and war genre were overall positive, showing that, yes, there is a bias here of women favoring true crime more than men. And in their second test, the participants in their survey chose between a true crime book and a war book. They both contained violence, which was clear from the plot description they could see. And the war book even had a female soldier as a lead. And then the participants also chose between a true crime book and a book about gang violence, also a female-led narrative. But women still prefer the true crime book. 77% of the participants chose it over the war book, 73% chose true crime over the book about gang activity. Anything but the war. <laughs> um, they also answered how much they expected to enjoy the true crime book, and their positive anticipation was a lot higher than their male participants in the study. Ladies were more, more excited about it. That makes sense. So we've established that they like true crime, but then the question is why? And Vickery cited a book called The Murderer Next Door, Why the Mind is Designed to Kill. And that author said that people are fascinated with murder because they want to avoid being murdered, which I saw in a lot of places. This idea that, like, we want to learn strategies to avoid being kidnapped and killed. I have heard that theory. I'm pretty sure that when you're in a trunk, you're supposed to kick out. 
the taillights and wave your hand out the window. I have heard that as well. But actually, if you look in a lot of modern cars, <laughs> oh, no. there's no, there's um, it's not going to work. No, no, it does work. They've okay. like made it easier. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, okay. There's a, they make it easier for you to kick out the love. Yeah. I they're, mean, they're like, oh, wait, this is a problem where children and women are being kidnapped and okay, thrown yeah. into the trunks. Don't love that part. But at least there's a reaction to it. Yes. And I don't know exactly what it is because, like, again, cars. Oh, my God. <laughs> Too much for my brain. Yes. But if you look in your trunk, there's, like, a pull tag sometimes in trunks. And then if you pull back the carpet where the taillight is, there's just, like, a really easy way to just punch it out. Other than that, I literally can't think of any other strategies. But I also don't read or watch true crime. But people did seem to be excited about the idea of learning some survival strategies. They had a true crime book that they were offering to their participants. And in one version of this, they tweaked the description to say that the victim had used a clever trick to escape from the attacker. In their other option, it didn't mention anything about having that trick. 71% of women chose the clever trick book. And then for the male participants, 66% of them chose it. Um, the tease of the strategy, it was appealing to everyone, but it was more appealing to women. I will say in a lot of the true crime stories I listen to, one of the only trick i've heard that i'm like oh man i never would have thought about that is they say something to survive usually it's just to like agree and flatter your attacker like they're yeah. like kidnapping you don't fight them mm-hmm. like agree with them flatter them yeah because usually those are of the survival stories they're like that's what i did and that- then when they weren't there i fought like hell to escape mm-hmm. no that sounds smart for sure i had i'm sure i told you this at the time when i lived in hollywood i had a guy crawl into our backyard who had a gun who was like homeless and just out of it I have no idea if it was loaded. He didn't point it in my face. I lived at a co-op with 10 other people, and there were a few of us hanging out in the backyard. But the people I was with were guests. They didn't live there, so it was just me and some friends. And I felt like as the person who lived there, I needed to address the situation. So someone climbed Holy into our shit. backyard. I guess I didn't tell this story. No. Uh, it was years ago. I mean, it was like 2018, probably. I mean, we were friends then. True. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it didn't resonate very much with me at the time, but I do love a good story. So I walked over to this guy and he wasn't wearing shoes, I don't think, or maybe like one sock on. He was holding a sock that had stuff in it and he was shirtless and he was like, you know, he was a tweaker. Like he was off. Clearly, this was not just a normal person. I don't know how right in the head he was, but he crawled in the backyard and I went over and I was like, hey, man, what you doing? And then he had a gun and he pulled it out of his pocket and he was pretty incoherent. But I was just really nice. And I was like, hey, is it okay if I walk you out of the backyard into the driveway? And he said, mumbling to himself, he's like, I'm just going to take this. I'm going to take this. And fuck Jesus. And I was like, fuck Jesus is so right. I fucking hate (laughs) the guy. I am so with you You're like, the vibe is so right right now. I'm resonating so deeply with this conversation. Literally did. I looked him in the eye and I was like, I am so with you there. Um, And that really changed the tone. Yeah. He wasn't holding me up or anything, but he was like, can you give me like $10? Can you give me some money? I was like, no, that's okay. Because I didn't want to give him power in the situation and just started like walking with him. And I was wearing a floral dress and I'm sandals. Pic- I'm picturing Allison in the situation. <laughs> yeah, I was just very, let's just walk out here. Let's go. And then he was just like, mumbling to himself and I walked him to the street um, and I called the police and they were extremely unhelpful. What? I know. They made fun Shocking. of, we had a bunch of old art projects, run down things in the backyard. And I said he wanted to steal something. And the cops were like, yeah, I can see you got a lot of treasures back here. <laughs> Cool, yeah. Someone just uh, approached me with a gun. With a gun and asked me for money and called into my backyard. I think they asked, do you know if it was loaded or real? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. I don't know guns. It looked like a gun that I would see. If nothing else, it's fucking threatening, bro. Ugh, I hate cops. But diffusing, but yeah, being 
calm and being pleasant, especially I do think that's one of the female advantages is men can respond well to women sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're pleasant to them and kind of build them up a little bit. Yeah, I have noticed that too with my experience. I had a homeless gentleman, same thing, uh, come up to me in the street and just like got in my face and started Mm -hmm. like screaming at me. And I just stopped and I was like, hey man, are are you okay? Like, are you doing all right? And he he just like Mm -hmm. his, like it's like he turned into a different person. He was like, yeah, thank you so, totally normal. Like, thank you for asking. You're really cool. You have a good day. All right, man, you too. Yeah, that women are afraid men will kill them. Men are afraid women will laugh at them idea. So Mm -hmm. I think men can be so fragile that they're just so desperate for our approval at times that if you give it to them, even if they don't deserve it, it can bring down the situation. But hey, you don't even need to read True Crime for Strategies if you live in LA. You just walk out on the street, just hang out in your backyard in Hollywood, and uh, yeah, it's, you'll be fun. You will learn. I feel like such a dick, and I don't mean this like I'm all about supporting houseless people. Yeah, it's such a problem. Yeah. A lot of it is that we don't fund mental health yes. um, and public housing and all these like really important resources that we don't give our community. But like anytime I have people that aren't from LA that come to visit and there's a homeless person like asking for money, they're like, oh, I just feel so bad. Can we give them money? I'm like, mm. look, if you did that every single time you saw a homeless person here, you would be broke. Yep. And it's unfortunate. And I'm not a fan of saying that. But even if I gave a dollar to every homeless person I came across on a daily basis, I would just have no money. Yeah. All right. I'll get back on track. So we were just looking at women being more likely to choose the book that mentions clever trick to get away from an attacker. Yes. And then there's also an idea that women connect more with the people in the story Mm -hmm. when they read true crime. So in their fourth test here, they asked participants to choose between two true crime books. And for one, the preview said that it included an interview with the killer to try to understand his motives. And then for the other, the preview was the same, but it didn't include any reference to an interview. And 65% of the female participants chose the book with the interview, whereas only 59% of male participants did. So I think what we're getting at is that everyone has similar reasons for reading true crime, which doesn't surprise me, but they're more exaggerated or more significant for women. So then, I mean, they'd be more into it. They have stronger feelings about these elements of the story. And then there's also the theory that women feel more empathy than men's. That part's not a theory. Sorry. That's not. That's, a- <laughs> it's unequivocally true. <laughs> As we've discussed. Backed up by countless hours of research and literature. It's a theory in the way that gravity's a theory. <laughs> in the scientific sense of the word. But uh, what I was getting at is that there's a theory that women like true crime because of their greater sense of empathy. And that goes into sympathy for the devil idea where women will connect more with the killers and maybe even be attracted to a serial killer, which isn't the norm. Boo. But it happens. And then also a greater sense of empathy for the victim and more of a connection for the victim. That part, yay. Yeah. The groupie serial killer shit Mm -hmm. is... I've always thought that was fucking gross, but But I get it. Like, I don't personally get it, but it's like, I see where their messed up brain is. I could fix him. Yeah, it's it's the (laughs) I can fix him mentality. That's exactly what it fucking is. I don't know if men have that attraction toward female killers. I would think not. I haven't heard anything about that. No, there's uh, memes that go around online where it's like, I could fix her. And it's a Uh bunch of not necessarily killers, but some of them are killers, but it's um. A bunch of women that have been done like pretty heinous things, whether killing or otherwise. But that's more of like the fringe parts of the internet. That's not as yeah. ubiquitous as true crime. Because like your normie friends like true crime. They do. They do. They also question the study whether women enjoy reading true crime because more of their victims are female. And so same kind of test. When presented with two book options, 59% of the women would choose the book with a female victim 
and male participants were more evenly split. 52% still chose the book with the female victims, but it wasn't as much of a deciding factor. Still, though, 59%, I mean, that does still mean a lot of women are reading books with male victims. It's not only that. But women have a greater sense of empathy, so they will feel more for the victim either way. Uh-huh. In the general discussion section of the paper, it had this little excerpt about the true crime genre in general, and it got me so spooked because it said, while divorcing her husband, Sheila Belouche, a mother of quadruplets, told her sister that if anything were ever to happen to her, to find true crime writer Anne Rule, you mentioned, uh-huh. to tell her story. Shortly thereafter, Sheila was gunned down by a hitman hired by her husband. Uh-huh. The resulting Anne Rule book, Every Breath You Take, was bought by nearly one million readers, But that meant she knew it was going to happen. Yeah. She told someone, just in case, quote unquote, she knew her husband was going to kill her before she was killed. Yeah. That's awful. Unfortunately, that I've I've heard that a couple times in a couple different true crime stories where they have a feeling that their husband, either the husband themselves or they're going to get someone to kill them. Just get a divorce, bro. Well, I mean, we know it's not. No, I know. Yeah. (laughs) I just, it's, 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 it's usually money or cheating. Women in that position, I know they can be financially dependent and also afraid. And the men might have threatened not only their lives, but the kids. You leave all hurt your kid. Like, there's so much psychological Uh torment that goes into that that I understand feeling trapped. Oh, 100%. But your kids are going to be even worse off if you end up being killed. So it's like a trope that anytime a woman gets murdered, everyone's just like, it's the husband, it's the boyfriend, it's the ex. It's almost always an intimate partner, whether current or previous. So Vickery goes on to say that, as you mentioned before, too, that women fear becoming victims of a violent crime more than men, but men are more likely to be victims of a violent crime. And I had a guy throwing that in my face one time when I was talking about the fear that women live with. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, but you know who's assaulting and and killing men? It's other men. (laughs) Like, y'all are still the problem. (laughs) Men are going to die from, like, gang shit or drug shit or, like, money shit. There is a lot of research out there that shows that women are more afraid of crime than men, despite the fact that men are more likely to be victims of all crime except sexual assault and intimate partner violence. Oh, wow. Yeah. The things that usually are the thread that ties all of the true crime stories together. Exactly. So gang violence and drug deals gone south. And I had a suspicion, too, that unhoused people are more likely to be murdered. And sure enough, found some articles like homeless people in the U.S. are being murdered at a horrific raid. <laughs> LA gangs insinuate violence against homeless people. Psychology Today said that the typical murder in the U.S. involves one man killing another man either in a momentary fit of rage or to help him commit or conceal another crime like armed robbery. Crime-related deaths. These are male-dominated worlds, tragically, but going on with the gender disparity... I found a bar chart on Statista that was comparing the number of violent crimes in the U.S. from 2005 to 2022 by gender. And the violent crimes included were murder, rape, sexual assault, robbery, and assault. In 2005, there were almost 2 million male victims of violent crime and only 1.4 million female victims. Only. I know. (laughs) But still, that's a big difference in terms of numbers. 600,000 people is a big fucking difference. Yeah. In 2022, it was almost identical with women slightly ahead at 1.76 million and men at 1.75 million. Oh, no. Yay, egalitarianism. What year was that? 2022, this last year. So they're looking at murder, rape, sexual assault, robbery, and assault. 
And we're also much more likely to be the victims of serial killers. Yes. According to FBI data, women accounted for 70% of the about 1,400 known victims of serial killers between 1985 and 2010. I didn't see... Why'd they start in 85? I'm only saying that because there's so many horrific serial killers in the 70s. I don't know. I'm sure, like, the stats I'm looking for I could find in a book or if I wanted to, like, look for one fact no, for more I'm than not, 10 minutes. I'm not like, Allison, no, why don't you have this right. I tried. I tried. I did look for at least seven minutes, and I kept seeing this FBI data reference that was this particular window of time. And then, yeah, just looking at the question of, like... probably not until they decided may, to track it. Sure, yeah. Because they didn't even term serial killer until, I think, the 70s anyways. Yeah, about 70 to 75% is the number I was finding as far as how many victims are female. So not 100%, but a lot of the crimes are also sexually motivated. Uh And it's sexual crimes that are being committed against women at higher rates. So looking at those numbers, a victim is three and a half times more likely to be female in a serial murder than in a non-serial murder. You're not likely to be murdered and you're not likely to be attacked by a serial killer. But from this angle, serial killers are coming after women. And true crime is a window into something that feels outside of our control. And it's something that we would want to be prepared for if we do encounter it. Intimate partner violence isn't something we can avoid in the same way we can avoid gang violence. Right. I don't want to say like, oh, I would never be a homeless person. I would never be involved in a crime or something. No one is safe from the worst they can become. Like, it's not like everyone is safe from that. And there's also whatever environment you grew up in. Like, sometimes being in a gang is like inescapable to your environment. There's factors here, but. But we like to think that we can, we could avoid joining a gang or participating in armed robbery. We're not going to be avoiding going out with a guy from a dating app. That kind of thing is so close to home. That's why. I think these stats almost painted out like our fear is disproportionate. You're more afraid, even though you're less likely to be killed. But the way that we are likely to be killed is a way that's harder to avoid than the other options. Yeah, it's that whole hashtag not all men thing that came around when Uh women were talking about this kind of stuff. And on the other side, when something does happen to a woman, people are like, well, what did you expect? You were out late at night or you're around a bunch of men. And it's the same people that are saying, oh, you can't think all men are trying to hurt you better the same people that are like what were you doing doing blank which it's so funny because that's part of it too there's not a giant flashing light on someone that's like they're gonna fucking kill you or assault you or rape you it's the fact that it is so unknown and that yes. in all these stories when we do listen to them it's always like he was the regular guy that mm-hmm. went to church and had a regular job that's the fear is that and rules book. It's called The Stranger Beside Me. You could be with someone every day, work with them, have they're your neighbor, they're your husband, and no idea that they're living this other life. The BTK killer was a family man. He had kids and a regular job and a, and a wife and was like a regular going out literally binding, torturing, and killing people, which is where he got his name from. It's, it's just, that's, that's the scary thing to me too. It's just, you literally don't know who it could be. Yeah, we're out here dating our only natural predator. <laughs> Quite literally. I think I've talked about this story on, on here before, but that happened to my friend. She went on a date with the guy and they were out and then she went back to his place after the date and he proceeded to grab her by the hair and like drag her down the hall. And I don't know what his plans were, but she escaped and called mm-hmm. the cops. And of course, same thing. They were not helpful and basically did the same thing. Like, well, what did you expect? You met a guy on the internet and you went back to his house. Yep. 
and they left her there. They didn't even take her away from the scene because I don't know if she, I think she Ubered there. So she didn't have a car. And this is L.A. again, where, you know, you have to have a car. <laughs> you do. And it's not like you'd want to walk away from that situation anyways. But it's God. yeah, it's this idea that's like you shouldn't be like going out with random men. And, OK, but you're also the same men that are like, why won't girls go out with me? <laughs> We're going to date. People want to find a partner. Totally. We can't avoid that. That's a human drive. Not all men are predators, but we have no idea of knowing which kind you are. Exactly. <laughs> at any point. Exactly. all men are responsible for holding other men responsible. And yes, all women have encountered some form of harassment or abuse. Yep. The violence feels like I'm less likely to be murdered in the street, but I'm more likely to be murdered by a serial killer and more likely to be raped and sexually assaulted. And it's going to happen most likely by someone you know Mm -hmm. and that's a lot scarier than thinking at some point you could be involved in gang violence when you look at it from that way statistically like mm, things are things are tough all over yeah it's less predictable in our situation which i think is the fear part totally there are some other ideas as well, not brought up in Vickery's article here. Psychologist Ray Gandhi, not the other Gandhi, but <laughs> this other Indian psychologist was interviewed for Vogue India. And she theorizes that we're drawn to the sense of justice because women are more likely to be the victims of violent crime than the perpetrators. It's comforting to see a killer be caught and to think that if that happened to you or to someone in your life. It's nice to know. Justice could be served. Yeah. I had a stat here. It made me think, I was like, this is really interesting, but it totally makes sense. So there was a 2011 study in Nebraska that showed that consuming true crime made you more likely to fear being a victim of violent crime, but it also increased your support of the death penalty, huh. but decreased your support of the criminal justice system. Oh, interesting. I don't, yeah, I personally don't connect with true crime at all. Like I'm not interested in it, but I could see how being in that world immersed in it just putting those ideas in your mind that might not really have been there but i also think the people who seek it out are probably the ones who have more anxiety about that in the first place journalist p.e moskovitz she wrote her mother jones that a woman's fear and anger can be a very powerful thing and true crime gets to the core that nagging feeling that most if not all women harbor everything is fine probably but also might not be i might be murdered for just existing. Those random acts of violence against us that we can't anticipate. There are also not female-specific reasons that people have talked about for enjoying true crime. So voyeurism being one of them, that perverse pleasure we get from watching something bad happen to someone else. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of different forms in the media, like leaked celebrity nudes or reality TV, watching someone live stream themselves crying. (laughs) Which is weird. (laughs) The the watching of it, but the filming of it is even weirder than the watching of it. Agreed. My opinion. If you can set up a camera, I don't know. I'm not saying they're not really feeling pain and distress, but... It's so performative. It's so performative. Especially at this point with we've seen how many celebrities fake cry apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Just do a formal letter from your publicist and then just never acknowledge it again like an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Catharsis also, which is that release that relief we get of strong or repressed emotions and leaves you feeling better we all fear death and it can be thrilling to hear about someone who barely avoided death or just a distraction to experience the intensity of something extremely traumatic but secondhand without having to live it 
Psychologist Dr. Krista Jordan said that the primary thing that any organism is trying to do is not die. But humans, as far as we know, are the only ones who know that you can't do that. And so that creates this massive amount of anxiety that we have to manage. Otherwise, we'd be curled up in a fetal position, not wanting to leave the house. Yeah, I think part of it for me maybe is like exposure therapy where it's just Mm -hmm. like if I make it more familiar, it's not as scary because, yeah, you are going to die. It's going to happen. Yeah. It is. Normalize it. Yeah. Okay. So reasons here. And then I'm going to ask you what you connect with the most or that can be the answer too. But they talked about finding strategies, empathizing, sympathy for the devil, voyeurism and catharsis and a way of processing anxiety. Do you feel like exposure therapy is the main thing that it takes some of the fear out of a situation to see someone else go through it? That's part of it but I think maybe for me is maybe more the voyeurism thing where Mm -hmm. it's always been for me like just like a psychological fascination where it's just it's not in my world and it's not how anyone I know thinks having the fascination of being like this is bonkers like this person thinks this way this person even would think to do something so horrific this is possible this type of thinking this type of action does exist even if you don't see it in your everyday life and you don't think that way at all but it's also like the fascination with the macabre it's the same sort of thing i get from watching a horror movie it's very similar two sides of the same coin right and people don't think that's weird if you like horror movies Mm -hmm. i think it's the true aspect that people have the problem with which is understandable but i think that makes it more humanizing it makes it more real and that leads us to our final element here which is is it ethical to consume true crime i think it's complicated exploiting people is wrong not consenting with victims or their families is wrong like when the Dahmer I show came out. I was just going to yeah. say that. And that family was absolutely traumatized because they did basically a damn near word for word reenactment of the court case and the sister of one of the victims. Oh, man, I'm going to cry thinking about it. absolutely losing it. That was yeah. so sad. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't imagine how re-traumatizing it would be to see that come out. And that they didn't even make any money off of it or no. get any kind of compensation. And that's the fucked up thing. That's not ethical. Like, if you're going to write a book about ex-serial killer, those profits better fucking go at least some of it to the victims and yep. their families. Yeah. And the creators didn't care about that. They no. just wanted to have a money. successful like, show. Oh, it was people all like, about money. Yeah, like, people like you crime and... Yes, we do, but, like, don't be a fucking dick about it. Like, these are real people. These are real lives. These are real tragedies. And Dahmer was only in the 80s. That's really not that long ago. These people are still alive. The people that were affected by him that weren't his victims, they're still here. The people that loved the people that died by his hand are still around. But there are also cases of cases being solved because of true crime, I've heard, which is extremely rewarding and wonderful must be what great for the family and like that quote of that woman who said take this to a true crime writer i want light shed on this so i think what that gets to then is that there is an ethical way to create it i don't think the responsibility lies with the consumers whatever their motive it goes to however it's presented to people by the people who are writing it or recording it or producing it. I agree. There's actually been a lot of cases that have been solved. And a lot of that's also been the familial DNA stuff. You know, being able to get a hit on old DNA based on all of us sending our spit into 23andMe and all of that. But 
the cops aren't giving a lot of time to cold cases. There might be like one dude on a cold case. And same thing, like I just said, these people's families are still around wanting justice, wanting answers, and they're not going to get it from the police. So if people shed light on it and put the word out and these citizen sleuths, as they call them, or like armchair detectives, they have the time to maybe just hyper focus on this one thing and get answers. Yeah, I forgot in my recap that another reason people like it is a sense of justice. I like triumph of the human spirit that I didn't really see, but it will always stick with me, the story from my favorite murder of the woman whose arms were severed and stopped the bleeding with the mud. Like, I could picture that. I can still see her standing by the side of the road naked with her blood-caked arms in my mind, and it's invigorating. It's like knowing that she survived that. Okay, I can get out of bed after six hours of sleep if she could do that. That is a beautiful story to know exists. I agree with that because then it's just like, man, I get really fucking depressed and sometimes I get on my fucking pity pot and feel horrible for myself. But then I'm just like, fuck, man. Some people have gone through so much worse than me and come out on the other side and thrived. If I'm ever brutally murdered, I want everyone to talk about it. I want y'all to know. (laughs) I want my story out there. I want my killer caught. Hell yeah. It's not a private matter at that point. I'm not connected to it at all. (laughs) Yeah. I think the problematic thing previously when we think about what I talked about, John Benet Ramsey and Natalie Holloway and a lot of these stories that we grew up with, they're all missing young white blonde women. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the trope and why a lot of people get pissed off. Why do we only care about this one type of victim? Yeah. And that I wholeheartedly agree with. And I will say one really positive thing that's come out from this quote unquote true crime boom is that we're shedding light more on cases of more marginalized people, people of color, and especially like indigenous women. It's a really big problem of indigenous women being murdered and their cases not being solved and the cops not giving a shit. That's something I didn't know about until I started listening to true crime podcasts. I was like, I didn't realize this was such a problem and that there's so many cases that are unsolved that have not gotten the justice that they deserve. And a lot of the podcasts I listen to do shed light on these quote unquote lesser known cases. And they're getting the justice that they deserve or their stories being told and at least being put out there that maybe someone could help solve it if it's unsolved. Yeah. As long as the stories are being handled in a way that's respectful to the victims and the families, then there are stories that probably should be told. And maybe it can lead to justice for those families. I think it's all about, like, again, what's every fucking episode? Is it consent? It's consent! I knew it would be. Should we wrap it up? I think we did it. I am Miss Anderson Memes on Instagram. And I am TX Goth GF. And we are sadgap.podcast. You can email us at sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. You can send us a little note, question, comment, anything at all. I would love to hear from you. And we would love it if you guys could rate us. We're on Apple. We are on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts, which I just found out exists. <laughs> it sure does. And we're on it. Leave us a little review on Apple. Rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Share with a friend. Stay sexy. Don't get murdered. And we're stronger together. We'll see you next time. Bye.